Welcome to Speak Up International with Rita Burke and Elton Brown. Here on Speak Up International, we are fortunate in that we have an opportunity to speak with people from all corners of the world. If you recall last, the last time we interviewed someone, she was in Texas. Well, today we're right home in Ontario. As a matter of fact, our guest is in Orangeville. His name is Alex Ihama. Alex is a speaker. He's a consultant. He's a business coach. He's also the executive director of the Canadian Congress on Inclusion, Diversity, and Workplace Equity. Alex has also authored two books, which he will tell us more about as we continue this conversation this evening. Welcome to Speak Up International, Mr. Alex Ihama. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ayrton and Rita, for having me on your show. Thank you for taking the time to visit us out of your hectic schedule, and that's just to say the least. And speaking of a hectic schedule, you're preparing for yet another summit. I want to know, can you provide insights into the strategies the summit will employ to address persistent issues like racism, discrimination, hate crimes, and mental health concerns? Yes. Um, once again, thanks uh, for having me. I consider opportunities like this uh, opportunity to share, to impact, and to inspire. Um, those topics you just mentioned, um, to me, they are some of the most critical topics of our day. And uh, I don't think enough is done uh, on many of the power blocks of our nation to deal with them. And I'm talking about the government power block and political power block, and even in the corporate or community or educational institution. Um, what we are doing or what we do, this is what we do often, bring together brilliant minds, not just uh, those with uh, impressive academic uh, qualification, but even more so lived experience. I believe you can't teach, uh, speak on racism except you've been through it. And what we are finding uh, today, especially post uh, George Floyd, is many organizations uh, are jumping onto the bandwagon under the uh, guise of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and yet have not uh, gone through racism. Uh, they have no idea of what it means to be in a restaurant and be bypassed uh, to select a white couple ahead of you. They have no idea of what it means to be on a business class and suddenly they want to see your ticket again before the plane takes off. They have no idea of what it means to be driving and yet you are within the speed limit and you still step on your brakes, uh, even though you are within the speed limit because of the color of your skin. So. We are bringing uh, speakers and, and experienced people to address it from two folds. Fold number one is uh, being those going through racism. Often enough, most uh, uh, topic or most messages are geared towards inspiring and encouraging those who are not who are non minoritized on how to be, need to be conscious of microaggression, how to need to be conscious of uh, biases and prejudices, but not enough message to empower those who are victimized every day, those who are racialized, those who are minoritized, hypnotized, marginalized. Not enough message is delivered to help them to understand how to deal with racism when it's happening at that very moment. What do you do when your boss says to you, oh, you're from Ghana, I heard Ghanaians make good mates, or you're from Bahamas, oh, you must be living your dream. 
in Canada. So we teach them skills like the power of question. Take a deep breath. Don't get angry. Just take a deep breath. Bring your emotions under control and ask them and say, that's interesting you say I'm living my dream in Canada because I'm from Bahamas. Do you mind explaining more of what you mean about the Canadian dream? And use the power of question to really help them to understand their biases. Uh, but often enough, many of us leave those situations angry, uh, which often create mental health. So mental health is another component that certainly we introduce in our programs. I particularly like that response. And something you said that um, resonates with me is that frequently we leave those situations angry because we're not prepared for the onslaught of what happens, particularly with microaggressions, as you said. And so, yes, it's critical that people are empowered to respond to those kinds of comments. I wouldn't even call them questions. I would say comments. How do you know when you've achieved a desired goal with the client? What are your benchmarks for acquiring your goals. Yes. So in all our work, whether it's a, as a coach, as an executive coach, or as a professional speaker, or as a consultant, or through the Canadian Congress or International School of Greatness, um, I often believe that everybody, again, not everybody believes that is my opinion. I believe that we should always aim to exceed expectation. So the first thing to do is to, of course, understand what the expectation of your client is. Again, be it a coaching client, a consulting client, or even an audience. What's your, when they invite me to speak, I say, what do you want to achieve? When when it is said and done, how, what would tell you that the message did resonate, right? I say, oh, you know, most of our people struggle with confidence and this and that or whatever it is. So once they have established their training requirement, their expectation, then we build on it. <laughs> we build on it, right? We don't set it for what they say. We build on it. And my staff know this. We have a policy, a motto in our organization, exceed expectation at all costs. And sometimes it costs us more money than we are paid just to exceed expectation. But that's our motto, and that's how we have been able to maintain uh, our status and certainly uh, um, the impact we make uh, for over two, over two decades now. So how long would you say it would take you and your team to have some kind of tangible impact with an organization? Depending on what the organization wants and how long they want us to do that for. But if they allow us to suggest to them um, how long it will take and what needs to be done. We often perform a, a needs analysis. We've just been engaged by a school board uh, here in Ontario. Massive, they have you know uh, thousands of schools uh, um, uh, under them. And so we've been engaged by them. And we are, the first thing we're doing is, is gather quantitative and qualitative data so we can establish um, the the gaps they have, the issues they have. Uh, so people are being surveyed, workshops are being done. Um, normally, I would tell organization allow uh, one to three months, depending on the size of your organization, to establish what needs to be done and how long it's going to take. So we can't really say this is going to take nine months, it's going to take 12 months, except we know the depth of the issues they are faced with. So when we run our analysis, and we create what we call the racism index, inclusion index, diversity index, equity index, communication index. When we do all those uh, KPIs, uh, then we can say, you know what, it's going to take uh, our work may take nine months to do, 
but your work afterwards will take you three years, five years, seven years, and sometimes 10 years because the organization don't have business to run. So they're not going to pack up the business and do this. So depending on the capacity they have. So a good example is with Canada basketball. We were fortunate to be the one they engaged to transform their culture from their Hall of Fame, which was mostly white people on their basketball Hall of Fame, which now the last two Hall of Fame, they've had more diversity in their Hall of Fame uh, to their training, their board of directors and all these things. So that took nine months to do. Uh, but then we suggested that they uh, hire a diversity director, which they did, and that fine woman is going to run it for the next three to five years. Uh, so how long does it take? It depends on the uh, outcome of our initial analysis. And that goes the same when I do coaching. When I do coaching, when the client comes, oh, I like, you know, here's the situation I'm faced with. Again, we want to understand their capacity, you know, their capability. We want to understand their level of confidence. Before I can say, you know what, I'm suggesting a coaching program of six months. I'm suggesting a coaching program of three months. Uh, so when I see some organizations say, oh, we'll do this in three months, I'm thinking, I don't know what you're doing in three months. <laughs> what if you go in there and everything is broken? You can use it in three months. So uh, some people do marketing and, and they suggest data and outcomes and results without in-depth analysis. It was uh, uh, Peter Drucker who once said, if you, want, if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. And W.E.D. Denim said, in God we trust in everything else, give me data, right? So mm. you have data to be able to estimate how long whatever you're planning to do will take. And if you allow me even dash to the scripture, it was Jesus Christ once said, it says, you know, it is wise that when you want to build a house, you first of all count the cost. <laughs> <laughs> how true how, how true that how true that is you have done so many summits and workshops i i, I lost count of, of of the of the number so when you go into these uh workshops and you just make your discoveries how do you prioritize these equitable uh policies and the well-being of youth and future generations yeah so um in, in most cases, people set priorities based on the level of their selfishness. They won't want to agree, <laughs> but uh, that is how priorities are said. Oh, I want this done. The reason you want that done is because it benefits you the most, right? So, uh, so what we often do is we look at what they don't consider as priority. And that is from that aspect, we begin to look at why is this not being considered priority? How can this uh, be considered priority, perhaps? Uh, in alignment with what you consider priority. But you mentioned youth. Um, I'm very passionate about youth. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who they would have called uh, troubled youth in my days. I got expelled from a nursery school. I don't know how you get expelled from a nursery school. I get expelled from a primary school. Uh, a secondary school, I got kicked out of university. I was, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, rusticated. Uh, that's the word it is. I didn't even know what that means. But um, so it, it, school has never... Um, be my uh, my phone place, so to speak. Uh, I tried to kill myself a couple of times. My brother killed himself, uh, suicide because of school, and and what teachers uh, told him. Teachers would call me a nickel, an entity, you don't exist, you have no future, I don't know why you're here, that is wasting money on you. These were things that teachers were telling me. So, um, so I became what they call a trouble youth from one from fry pan to fire, from one police case to the other, from one police car to the other. So I had a lot of issues growing up. And as an adult, when I picked up my life and I started to look back, 
I saw gaps in parenting, gaps in academia, gaps in community. I saw gaps in the raising of kids and in so many things. And therefore, I became so passionate about helping young people on how to overcome the gap while also helping older folks and parents and stuff on how to minimize the impact on kids. Right, uh, the rate of suicide if you, in, in, is high, not just in Canada. For young people, even the ten-year-old committed suicide. I, I, we, I believe that we, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, when a child commits suicide, you are guilty, and I'm guilty. Every responsible adult is guilty. So when organizations don't prioritize supporting youth engagement, when churches don't focus on youth development, when communities are concerned with every writing boy youth. Um, it really broke my heart. So I'm involved in a lot of youth uh, program. My first book I wrote, uh, Welcome to Greatness, it was meant to be for youth, even though now a lot of adults have embraced it. Uh, my goal was to have it in the rooms, uh, in the cells, in the detention center across around the world. Uh, even today, somebody posted on my Facebook. Today, I posted the book and somebody put a comment and said, I read this book when I was in the detention center. When I was in prison, he said. It's on my Facebook right now. If you go, he said, I read this book when I was in prison. I read it three times. When I came out, I was inspired to write my own book. And today, I'm an author and a speaker because of this Alex's book. It's right there on my Facebook. If you go on my uh, facebook.com slash coach Alex my fan page, you will see it right there. I just read it this evening, right? Uh, another youth in, in, in Hamilton, uh, same thing. Right, it says that was a book that kept him true uh, when he was in detention center, and today he runs a video and audio company in Hamilton. Uh, so, yes, I may have lost my brother to suicide. Yes, I may have uh, survived it myself, uh, uh, but uh, we are all, and we should all be concerned about the next generation. Otherwise, what else are we living for? If if you are not living. To impact the next generation of war since his life. I will conclude the question with a quotation from Martin Luther King. He said, Until a man, until a person can rise above his or her individualistic concern to a broader concern of humanity, it says you're not fit to live. I didn't say that. Martin Luther King said it. So it is obvious that what you do, your work, has an impact on people, on children, on youth. And something that sunk into my soul as you spoke was the fact that you yourself was a troubled youth. I want to get back to that later. But tell us of what you consider to be one of your most interesting speaking engagements. All my speaking engagements, frankly, I consider interesting. Um, Yeah, I, I actually consider all of them interesting. I think Maybe I can say an uh, interesting encounter, um, actually, uh, is when people invite me and haven't done enough research on me. So here's something interesting. I hosted uh, my birthday was just a few weeks ago. Uh, it was the first time I celebrated my birthday at that level. We had senators from Ottawa, members of parliament, people coming in, flying in from Jamaica, St. Lucia, Grenada, United Kingdom, across the U.S. Like it was huge. And and everybody and uh, the, the pictures are all posted. The videos are all posted. Uh, but there's an the, the last 
part was when I, there's a part I was dancing really crazy. Like I was just dancing crazy and crazy. And somebody recorded it. It wasn't even part of the professional recording and sent it to me. And I looked at it and I said, okay, people have never seen me crazy. I didn't mean to do anything by posting it. I just thought it was cool. And I posted it. Now it's become one of my most viewed videos. <laughs> <laughs> people want people want to see you crazy, I guess, right? So they want to. It's more it's more popular than when I talk of leadership and business and strategy and diversity. People are loving this video; it's crazy. So now here, let me bring it back to your question. A fine lady sent me a message to LinkedIn. It says, and she's not even connected to me. So it's like a second third connection on LinkedIn. It says, I saw this video. And I would love to meet with you regarding an event we're planning. So here's me thinking, okay, she knows I'm a speaker and all that. And I met with her and she engaged me to deliver a very powerful presentation. And she had no idea. She was, in fact, in the meeting, she was saying, I don't know if you speak, but I, I, I feel you have the She saw you dancing. She saw you dancing and decided she wanted to engage you to speak. Yes. And she was wondering if I speak. She was wondering if I speak. If, if I don't know if you speak, but I love your energy and I love your personality. So, and I thought, you know what? Why don't I meet with him to ask him if he can speak in our event? And here is a woman I have no idea, and she didn't do any research or anything. She just went off the video. So, to me, that's an interesting encounter because when I started to talk in the Zoom call, just like this with her colleague and it was like yeah yeah like we're inspired already like you know come on inspired i said but i speak for a living they're like oh because they, they don't know they were even say we don't know if you accept credit card like how we're going to pay you my goodness i started accepting credit card the first time credit card came out i i was one of the first uh, clients to pay par. i was like i've been in this business for almost three decades they were shocked right so is that uh, to me that's an interesting encounter that I don't recall the first time I was in the front of somebody who didn't know who I was. Like, I, I don't recall. Like, Google came out maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. So pre-Google, uh, maybe. But post-Google, people Google you before. I Googled you before I came. I checked your... You your, did? Of course. I checked some of your podcasts out. I wanted to know if this is a serious opportunity, an opportunity to impact. I checked some of your work. your fine work. And I, so I said, well, let me support it. Right, I get solicited for so many things 10, 20 solicitations uh, every single day for so many things podcasts and this and that and that. So I have to manage my time accordingly. So I did uh, see your work and I wanted to honor your work as well. Let me admit that I think I saw you dancing as well, but I didn't share that with Elton. But that's a secret between you and I. Is that what brought me here too? <laughs> no. <laughs> But, you know, it's it's uh, it's amazing because in your presentations, you're very astute, very, you know, very staunch in your in your mannerism. And, you know, it's like, OK, I'm going to roll up my sleeves here. You know, we've got we've got we've got a lot of work to do and we don't have much time to do it in. And then to turn around and see you dancing. I can understand why people you know, that kind of shot off the scale, so to speak, because people got to see another side of you, not the astute, you know, let's get to yeah. work. You know, they got to actually see the human side uh, of, exactly. of you, Alex. So I, that I, was, I, I, you say something really interesting. Like, 
one journalist, there were some journalists at my event, and one of the journalists came to me, he whispered in my ear. He says, you know, I've written articles about you. I said, really? He said, yeah, I'm the one who writes the articles about you on the Caribbean news. I said, oh, wow, I've read it, but never really paid attention to who. And here's what he said. He said, considering the intensity of your messages and your posting, he says, I never thought there was this side of you. <laughs> you know? And he said, do you mind if I take you a picture Basically, do you mind if I take a picture of this side of you? And I'm like, sure, go ahead. You won't believe it. That picture has more likes than every other likes, you know? Like this and he, he took this picture with his phone. And we paid thousands of dollars to a professional photographer. And this picture didn't make it. <laughs> well, it sounds like he, he was able to capture the, the real you. You know, I'm really touched by you were saying how the educators were cruel to your to you your brother to the point where you you lost your your brother and so i'm just wondering what would be the benefits of having educators that look more like us yeah i, I think in the it, there's benefits that i think but even more so though how about just having educators who love children who love people how about having educators who are just kind Right. I spoke to them recently and I have I have one, two, three, I have six speaking engagement this month and they are going to be teachers. Six, six speaking engagement. And my message is going to be very simple. It's like, do you know in your classroom there's somebody that may have been raped that morning? Somebody going through sexual abuse by their father or brother or cousin or uncle. Do you know there are kids in your class who may not have had breakfast? Do you know there are kids in your class who may be struggling with suicidal tendencies? Let's even just pack racism for an instance. The kid, that kid could be white. It could be any. It could be any ethnicity. Teaching is one of the most vulnerable profession on the planet. When you come to class, whether you have kids or not, you are a parent. You have the power to transform the life of that kid. You could be talking to the future prime minister, the next Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Like you, you, you cannot approach teaching even as doctors do or lawyers or accountants and CEOs. No, you approach teaching as a father and as a mother, whether you have kids or, kids or not. So, I would say that's where we begin. That's where we begin. Once we begin there, racism is not an issue then. It's not an issue. Racism will be phased out of schools automatically when teachers make every effort to connect with the kid. There's nothing wrong with asking the kid, how are things with you at home? I don't think you get in trouble for asking that question, right? And the kid may lie, but you will see in the eyes, right, if there are things going on. Right. I have coached. Uh, I was just telling somebody the other day, I, I, I've coached thousands of people. If I take the women who are talking mostly of the Caribbean, but it applies here and applies around the world. And I said, in a one in, in one particular country, I don't want to mention the country. I have coached at least 100 professional women, CEOs, board of directors, 65 years old. 55, like elderly people, people who are not who are seasoned in their career, and 80% told me they were sexually abused. We'll have to have you back to talk about that topic at some point because it's huge. It's huge, isn't it? And it needs addressing. There's no question about that. Are you selective about the clients that you engage with? Do you have a preference for the type of groups that you work with? Yes, I actually do. Um, when I started this uh, decade ago, I would take any opportunity because uh, I needed to be paid as well. Uh, but at my level, and by the grace of God, I must add, 
uh, I have the privilege to uh, look at organizations I want to work with. Uh, if I see this is tokenism, as I say, organization, I just want to put the checkbox and say, we did have Alex speak with us. I, I will politely uh, decline. If I look at the, the uh, seriousness, if you will, the commitment of those who are bringing me, then I would likely decline. For an example, an organization was talking to me recently about coming to empower their black staff. And I said, I would like the CEO of the company to be the one that kicks off the event. And it's like, but the CEO is not black. I said, but that's the point. That is the very point. If the CEO is saying, say, no, they've given us budget. I say, I'm sorry. I know you are all happy they gave you budget for this. But if the CEO will not make the time to come and kick off the event, talking of how important this program is, I said, I may decline. I may decline. I, I said, no, no, with all due respect to you, two of you are staff who are volunteering. It's not only your job. You're volunteering because you are black and you created this, what they call employee resource group, affinity group. We look for fine names to call it. And then we throw some dollars at you and say, go find some speaker to speak to you all. No, no. I said, no. After speaking to them, they were empowered. They were empowered. I said, you should tell your CEO that you need a coach and that I will coach you. They should pay for you to be coached. Like we have to get to the place where we can speak up for our rights. We can be a Rosa Park, even in the workplace. We can be a Martin Luther King, even in our churches. We can be a Nelson Mandela, even in the community. We have to get to that place. I've always spoken up. That's why they kick me out of schools. Like when you ask a question and they don't know how to answer you, then they say, shut up, sit down and shut up, right? They'll tell me that, right? I mean, those questions today. I remember, I'll give you a quick example, Pluto. Right, Pluto. I remember my daughter coming from school. Daddy, daddy, daddy. They say Pluto is not a planet. When I was in school, they say how many planets. I said eight, and I said Pluto was not a planet. I didn't even know. I just failed it. They, I failed it. But only for years later, now they say Pluto is not a planet. Right. So you see that you know even things that you know the teacher out there in school changes with time. So yes, I do have a preference. I look at the seriousness. I don't want to say commitment. Commitment is too fancy. Seriousness. You have to be serious. So that's for corporate. For clients, for my coaching clients, I look at three things. Willingness, readiness, and ability. Is this person willing? Right? Many of them are willing. Alex, I heard about you. You know, Elton spoke about you. Okay. Willingness, check. Readiness. Now, if I say put your hand in your pocket. If I say do your homework, if I say commit one hour a week, if I say, is this person ready, right? It, from what they are saying, you can tell, oh, my mother is from Jamaica, my daughter, my cousin, my auntie, my uncle, my father, my children. Okay, are you? can you carve out one hour a day, I ask them, call hour of power, right? I, I will meet with you once a week, but you, I will be giving you homework that you need to do for one hour a day. I'm not, okay, then readiness, I guess, is out the window, right? And then ability. Nobody wants anybody to waste your time, certainly not my time. I live what I call purposeful second. I can account for every second of my day. I'm not even say every minute. Every second since I woke up this morning, I can tell you exactly what I did. On Speak Up International, we seek to inform, to educate, and to inspire. And there's no question that our guest today, who is Mr. Alex Ihama, uh, is helping us to meet those goals. But I'd like to go back and hone in on something you said. 
you talked about you have the privilege to pick and choose. And you said you could pick up if it's tokenism. How do you know if it's tokenism? Okay, I'll give you an example. So using that as an example of can the CEO come and open the event, right? If the CEO refuses, right, and does not delegate to COO or CIO, that's tokenism right there. Absolutely, that's tokenism right there. If we get together and there's a major organization, I, I, I want to mention their name, but I don't want to mention their name. I want to mention their name. I don't want to mention their name. But this is a major organization in Canada that receives $300 million in funding. Your money and my money goes to this organization to do charity work. The CEO invited me to Vancouver to have lunch with him. I flew down, had lunch with him, and he told me we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, and you know, and they are happy to engage. The moment they engage us, uh, Rita, you won't believe it. Like, can we have a meeting? Oh no, no, no! I'm in Bahamas the whole of next week. Okay, can we meet with you? Oh no, no! You know what? Just okay. I want to walk you through the presentation. No, just email it. My goodness, it's called presentation. It's not called letter. Presentation means I need to present it. And when we when we when we got a little stern by saying I really need to have I have questions. He said, but that's why we hired you. Yeah, you hired me, but I have questions. You have to. Here's what he told me. You won't believe it. In fact. When we got the report done, we found out that almost 100% of the 300 million were given to white-led organization, charity organization. None was given to uh, black. We found black organization and indigenous organization, Somalia organization that have been applying for funding they were refused. And you're telling me they didn't fill the form properly. And we are telling you they were not born here. So you they needed help to fill those forms properly. You could have done more. And so, anyway, all this conversation was going back and forth. The, C, the CFO who the CEO passed us to told my staff, my director of operations is a white woman, my executive assistant is a white woman, and told her, I said, is it possible for us to book that presentation with the board when Alex is not in the country? Because there are just some things we don't want to get into with the board. They didn't want me to expose what was going on, right? And, you know, when I met with finally the CEO, finally, I literally cornered him through his executive assistant. He gave me half an hour. Here's what he told me. I'm not paraphrasing. He said, you know what? We're doing this because the board wants it. I think so far you've done a fantastic job. Please email the report. There's no need for you to be there for the presentation. I think this meeting's over. Yeah. Amazing. A major organization that gets in three million your money and my money. I'm still contemplating going public with this. I'm just like it's every time it burns, it burns on my head. I'm like, argh, argh. you know, um, I'm just like it's it's not right on any level, especially because the government funded agency, right? There's another one right now, right? Again, government funded agency. $200 million, right? And they were given $200 million to all their websites from Vancouver. They have Facebook, Vancouver, all over the country. 95% of their speakers are white. 95. Mm. The government gives you $200 million to, to, to do events in colleges and universities across Canada. And you tell me your speakers are white? And their message is to enable Black people to get into leadership. <laughs> Which is counterproductive. So, how do you know your these people are is, is tokenism? It's it if you look deeper, I and mean, let me speak to others who are doing this work. Please, I know the money sometimes is appealing, 
Well, let's not go there and, and be used by organization to smother racism. You know, the other day somebody goes, oh, we have our first black VP. It just burned my heart. And I put a comment. I said, you know, I'm, I am actually tired of we have our first black VP, first black this. I said, it is not a moment of celebration, but a moment of sober reflection. The reason that you're having your first black VP in 2023 is an indicative of the depth of racism and discrimination in your organization. Don't go on LinkedIn and sing about your first black VP. We should be crying about it. My goodness, it got more likes than the post he did. <laughs> I, will read, I will read it. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so uh, we, we have to be conscious of it. I'm, I'm very conscious. And also with regards to coaching, right? So I fire clients. I've refunded money back to client, $5,000, $75,000. I said, you know, you come here, you complain, complain. I said, oh, my husband said this, my father said this, my uncle said this, my cousin said this. Like, I am, they are not here. You're the one here. Are you willing to do the work? Oh, Alex, you don't know. Okay, you know what? I don't know them, and I would never know them, right? So what they did is bad, but are you willing to? So my point is when I make a mistake in not properly assessing a client, either a corporate client or a coaching client, mm -hmm. I always go back um, to correct it by either releasing you and giving you back your money. Wow. You know, we, within our communities, we have so many organizations that are out there doing the the great work, as I, as I call it. But they seem to be working independently. They're not seem to be uh, working together. It's almost like they're in silos as they're, you know, doing their good, their good work. So how can we, as a, uh, as members of our communities, help these organizations build bridges so that the work that all of us are doing can be uh, rapidly accomplished? Great question, Elton. Uh, that has been a generational challenge, which I believe stems from colonialism. They came to Africa and they said, this is Niger, this is Nigeria. They named our nations. They did not only name our nation, they named our people. They named the courses we teach in schools. And they told us, you stay here, you stay here. Remember that they were using blacks to cap capture slaves. It wasn't, the white man never went into the home of a black man. <laughs> he basically influenced the black man to steal his brother and, and stuff like that. So the, we seem to have taken that and we have run with it for generations. What you said, Elton, that is one of our biggest challenge. Until we can strengthen the unity within our community, we will not have a voice at the table. Until we can strengthen the unity of Black people in every part of the world, even here in Canada, we cannot have a voice on the table. The government will toss $100 million at Black organizations, and then they start to fight over it. Instead of saying, hold on a second, whoever said $100 million is enough? How much was given to the Jewish community? How much was given to the gay community? How much was... We need to be fair and equitable here. But nobody's asking intelligent questions, but we are fighting over a, piece, a slice of bread. Right, a bounce check, as Martin Luther King would call it. So, how do we begin to make that change? That much needed transformation. I was in an event in Ottawa and I spoke to the African woman who did it. I said, 
She said, Alex, a great message. We need you in our community. I said, I am in the community. We don't need me. I'm part of it. But the challenge is you doing this. The other one is doing this. Everybody wants to be CEO. Nobody wants to be the CFO. Nobody wants to be the CIO. We all want to be the head. In fact, you know, Honorable Jean Augustine, I must give her some kudos here. She's a very great friend of mine and the uh, first black uh, woman in member of parliament, uh, the one who made a motion for black history. She says, she told me directly, she says, Alex, I've been doing this work for 60 years. And say in 60 years, I've seen many black organizations come and go. Many of them suffer from leadership issues. Every There's always this fight that seems to emanate within them. And she said, she thinks, she feels that uh, I could, I can, I'll be, I may be able to help to bridge that gap. So I called a meeting of to even meet with leaders of black organizations. Eighty percent did not make the time for it, unfortunately. Uh, so um, we couldn't really uh, proceed with that. But we are still pressing on. What we're doing right now is we are actually uh, trying to unify those who are like-minded, those who are like-minded like you right now, Ed, and those who are like-minded. What is the use of going to somebody? who think he or she has arrived, they get $10 million from the government, when we can come together and get $5 billion, right? So they are getting $10 million here and $2 million here. So let's. So that's what we're doing. We are building a coalition of non-profit organizations and community organizations that have the same mind. And what is that mind? That is the mind, generational wealth. What is the mind? That is the mind of renewing your mind. What is the mind? That is the mind of building our people with a high level of confidence, intelligence, and eloquence that we can stand our ground even when that ground is shaking. There are still people. There was a, there was a, what do you call it? A earthquake in uh, in Jamaica a few days ago. Uh, no data, as I understand. But my point is, the ground can be shaking, and we can stand once we are unified. Then and then only. Can we have a voice at the table? The way it is right now, when we make noise, they take one black person, you know, and they put him up there and say, see, see, we have a black speaker, black speaker, a member of parliament. They, they interviewed me on TV when the Honorable Greg Fergus was up, made the first black speaker. They asked me on TV, Angie, on her show, CTV. Alex, so, you know, is this progress? You see, progress. I say, Angie, yes. We can say it's progress. I say, but no, we have to wait to see if he's given the power to do his work, right? What if he if he opens his mouth and they go, ooh, he opens his mouth, ooh, then you tell me that's progress. That's not progress, that's retro retrogressing, right? So it, it's too early to say it's progress. The fact we have a first black speaker. No, let's see, right? I have helped a lot of black people become executives in banks when I used to be in bank. Many of them retired, they not retired, they left two years later. One of them told me, he says, the meeting, the same meeting is 10 o'clock. He shows up at 10 minutes to 10. He finds out that they were already there one hour before him, which means they were meeting before the real meeting. <laughs> so I saw to just tell him what to do. Oh, thank you, team, for coming to the meeting. Now go wash the dishes, basically. Right, they never want to ask you whether the dishes should be washed in the first place. How should we wash the dishes? Why don't we outsource it? All those questions they discuss behind your back. So, um, there's still a lot to be done, and I use this opportunity to call on black led organizations to form allyship with another black led organization. We don't have to be a hundred, right? Jesus transformed the world with 12 disciples one sold him, one denied him, one said it doesn't exist. At least with the remaining nine, he was able to impact billions of people. So 
you know, form an allyship. If you are a leader of black organization, form an allyship, right? In fact, we, we, there's an event we're doing, we talk of event, we're doing a summit at the end of this month, a virtual summit of black-led non-profit organization. And I'm planning to deliver a message to them and put a call out for them to come to be unified and that we can we can host a quarterly meeting, virtual meeting, so they can come with their issues, come with their opportunities and discuss it among each other. And from there, they can attain the next level. We are offering that to the community. Zero dollars, we're asking. Well, I'm so happy that we've decided to have you and speak up international because we claim that we speak to community builders and it's obvious that you are building our community and I appreciate that. Let's get a little personal here, Mr. Alex. Tell our listeners who or what is responsible for the man that you are today. My mother, period. I can't even stop there without saying any other thing. She was the only one that believed in me. Only one. And people say, oh, my mother, my mother. No, no, no. This is the truth. Ultimate truth. My dad, may he so rest in peace, disowned me many times. Disowned, public disownment, right? You are not my son. Get out from here, idiot, right? So my, my mom would say, no, sonny, no, sir. No, sir, carrying my son. I'm like, what? what's wrong with her? Why is she dancing? Like, they just took kick me out of school. She said, come sit on my lap. If nobody wants you, I want you. You're my son. Right? She named me no sir. That woman... I don't know any woman that went through hell like she, like she did. When she died, what gave me comfort was that she has gone to rest. That's what gave me comfort. She had finished, fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. My mother was the greatest philanthropist I know. My mother was, she was a teacher. She would see a kid in school, and next day the kid is not here. She would go and visit the kid at home, which is completely crazy. And find out that the kid's father have died. And that's why the mother didn't say anything because there's no money. My mother will say, do you mind if I take him home and I will school him on holidays, he will come back to you. My mother, have, when she died, there was a, a, a prison warden, a, a, like a high-level officer in the, in the prison detention center. He came to me, he says, your mother raised me. There was a, a, a man who was a lawyer in UK, called me and said, I know people are saying your mother this, raised me. My mother... Of course, mostly with my dad's money. My dad owned most of the money. Um, sponsored over 100 weddings, over 200 scholarships, and nothing is registered. So they, she doesn't want accolade <clears throat> or credit. None of those. I watched her. She would call me. Ah, no, somebody, so I'm so happy. I hope you pray. I hope you read the Bible. Even till death, she still consider me a little boy. Right? So I spoke to her on, on a Wednesday. Uh, February uh, 5th, uh, February 6th, uh, last year. And then uh, she told me she was going for an op operation. I said, what operation? It says uh, gallstone. I never even heard of it. So I, while she's speaking, I was Googling it, gallstone. And I'm like, mommy, people, this is a, we call it procedure. It's not even an operation. They say, no, the doctor says, if I don't do it, I'm going to die. I said, mommy, die? I said, die is a big word for that. Not knowing the doctor wanted to just make money off her back home in Nigeria and influenced her to go under the needle and did and went straight into coma. And I believed that when they told me, I, I didn't hear from Mount Thursday, I called my brother and finally my cousin said, no, she went and she, she's in coma. I believe I'm a man of faith. I believe that if I had gone to her before she died, I was going to hold her hand and I would say, woman, 
That's how Jesus raised Lazarus. But while I was rushing to Nigeria, I had COVID. Bought my ticket, I couldn't fly. I was looking for who, in fact, I don't believe in bribery and I don't think anybody should bribe or just But if somebody had told me, give me $10,000, I'll give you a clean certificate to fly, I would, I would have. But unfortunately, COVID refused to go. The day they said COVID was done, that's the day mommy died. So I never got to see her. Who's responsible for the man you see? My mother. There's no other person. If you want to know more about her, her name is Mary Eki. If you just even put, or if you ask me, I created a, what I call it, Forever Missed page. And people have come out from the woodworks and said, that's your mother. That was my teacher in Adesua Grammar School. That was my teacher. That was my principal. That was my, like people are coming out on Facebook. People I never even knew that there was a connection with her. She did so much. The woman built four churches in secret. I never even said to people she built it. Went to villages and built it and donated the churches to other churches that never wanted credit for anything. Never. So I, I values I have my mother, leadership I have my mother, passion I have my mother. You should hear her speak. My goodness, that woman. I don't believe in all this, uh, some of all this stuff, but if they tell me that my mother's spirit is there <laughs> and is uh, five thousand dollars to go and check it out, I will. We'll see her. Yes. She sounds like a wonderful, wonderful person. And earlier in our conversation, you talked about, about teachers or people with children who cares for them. And it's fascinating. Your mom sounds like she was a caring adult. And that's what that's what our children need in order to actualize into the people they should become. So thanks for sharing that story with us. How does Canadian Leadership Summit, the summit that's coming up uh uh, near the end of this month, how does it plan to engage diverse participants in fostering discussions on enhancing Canada's national image? Well, it's still in line with the objective of uh, all the summits we do. We Most summits, when people do summit, they just focus on political leaders or church leaders or school leaders. We, when we do summit, we invite people from five power blocks. The political power block, the government. We invite people from the religious power block, the churches. We invite people from the academic power block, the professors. We invite people from the corporate power block, the CEOs. We invite people from the community power block, the social justice advocate and community advocate. And one journalist told me once, he says, whenever I look at the food, flyer for your events. I'm intrigued in how you are able to bring... You say you never see a flyer with a professor and a pastor. Have you ever seen a flyer with a professor and a pastor? No, you don't. You're a professor, a pastor, and a politician on the same flyer. No, they don't associate. They may even go to the same church on a Sunday, but on a Monday to Saturday, <laughs> they are running like uh, chickens with no head. Like, that's what to do, right? So we bring them together to dialogue. We believe that there's a connection, a correlation between every power block. It's like saying the head cannot say to the neck, I don't need you. The neck cannot say to the body, I don't need you. The hand cannot say to the fingers, I don't need you. And the fingers cannot say, damn you, hand, I need you. Right? So when we learn to bring people across frontiers, when we learn to bring people a different diverse background, racial background, academic background, you know, uh, bringing the bus driver with the CEO, 
right? So I'll give you a good example. We're training the school right now. I said we'll be having six engagements this month. And do you know that they, this school board, I don't know about our school board, they told us they don't train support staff. Support staff are those who clean the toilet. Support staff are those who clean the lunchroom. And yet they are not trained. They've never been trained. And I said, no, we must train them. They're like, really? I say, yes. He said, why? I said, you, you want us to eliminate racism from your uh, uh, school? These people, they probably see and hear things you don't know about. What if one of them call a student a monkey? The school will be responsible. Or on the other hand, one of them hears a teacher and say something. Like, so they need to be trained on how to identify the clues and the clues of racism. So my point is, to your point, we bring in people from every aspect. When we go into an organization, we ask. When we went to Canada basketball, not just them, we did Canada games. These are major organizations. We do what we call stakeholder analysis. And they never consider the volunteers. Oh, no, you know, the volunteers change every year. It doesn't matter. Volunteers need to be trained. If we are drinking tea, they need to drink tea. If we are eating spaghetti, they need to eat spaghetti too. You don't say they are volunteers, you give them cookie and then you eat rice and chicken. Where is equity? So this we our our mentality and modality, our strategy, our techniques, tools and techniques, all these things are based on what I call a psycho-spiritual philosophy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. This is not being about religious. They've asked me once, oh, is everything? No, I said, don't confuse religiosity with spirituality. Religiosity is institutionalized. Spirituality is personalized. Love your neighbor as yourself, cut across Muslim, pagan, Hindu. Even the devil understands that. So this is how we operate. Inclusivity must be the core of everything that we do in life. And certainly our summit as well. But in order to be inclusive, we need to be intentional. We need to understand what it means. And I think that's what you're telling us. I think that's what you're telling us. Now, you have a coaching framework. Am I correct? Yes. You are would very, you very correct. Would you expand on that a little bit for our listeners, please? Yes, yes. So, so when I became a coach years ago, I was a member of the International Coaching Federation, uh, Association of Coaching Federation, National I was ended up paying 500 years, 700 years. And at some certain point, I realized that some of this, with all due respect to them, uh, some of these uh, associations, they are incomplete, right? A, a human being is more complex than psychology. A human being, I ever say we are not even human beings, we are spirit being in human form. There is more to us than is seen. There's more to me than you see. You can keep me here for 10 hours and there's still more to me. I'm still learning about me for crying out loud. Right, still learning about me for kind of now. So the framework we have, we assess a s s e s s assess. So people don't use access because of my accent is assess. We assess people from four dimensions: psychology, philosophy, spirituality, and physiology. So the framework we built, which we have certified a lot of people, we have a program at the School of Greatness.ca. School of Greatness.ca. The program is called Ignite. And that program really helps people to look at yourself while we also help you to look at you from those four dimensions. And when we do that, we often find areas that need tweaking or some areas need encouragement. Some areas need overhaul completely, like you're changing your aging. Some areas need inspiration. Some areas need accountability. Some areas need uh, motivation. So 
we, we find out those things, and that's how we're able to achieve breakthrough. I can say today that only two people in probably 2,500 over the last uh, while have been unable to complete that, and that wasn't due to our fault. It was due to the fact that they just did not, their readiness and ability kept dropping. Uh, but the breakthrough we've had, I was just telling uh, somebody today, I say even if I start a podcast once a week, talking about my clients without revealing their name or their identity or anything, but just talking about the cases that I have personally been involved in, it would be intriguing and a lot of people will learn from it. Issues people come up with. I can tell you a couple right now, 80% of the issue people bring in my coaching program when I certify coaches, one of the modules talk about don't coach your close family members. Don't coach your husband or wife. Don't do that, please. I'm begging you. Don't coach your child. Don't coach your mother. Don't coach... I, I, I my, my, anything I used to bring up there, my wife was like, "Well, you want to coach me, baby? I, I, I wasn't trying to coach you. Like, so even now, if I'm talking, I have to be careful. I'll say it so it doesn't look like I'm coaching. I'm, they are prejudging me that everything is coaching. So the first thing I tell them, don't even attempt. So today, if my wife, anybody's talking, oh, you know, I have this issue. I say, oh, wow, wow. Just show them empathy. Oh, that must hurt. Don't offer advice. Don't, that's not your place, right? So one of my closest friends just now, she was talking, thinking of transitioning from her job to entrepreneurship. I often say, don't confuse what you do for a living, what you were created to do. What you do for a living is called profession. What you were created to do is called purpose. When you are able to turn your purpose into your profession, like I've done, that is called greatness. So she wants it, and I can do it. I, because we are so close, I say, you know what? I'm going to refer you <laughs> to somebody else. I'm just following my rule. Because always that could break our closeness, right? So that's number one. Number two, you have to understand that 90% of the issue people come to me with, come to you with, if you were a coach, is not the issue. That is the symptom of the issue. It's like going to a doctor. I have a headache. Next day they find out that you have one ball growing on your spine, right? So most coaches that go through all this conventional coaching program, they deal with the issue. At the School of Greatness, we deal with the root of the issue. We, that's how we're able to. So one of the first assignments, we say, write a three to five page on your deepest pain. I have people who told me, Alex, I don't. I don't know if I have a deepest pain. I say, don't worry, take a week to think about it. You will be shocked if I was to tell you 10 deepest pain people have put on the table. One deep, deep, a full-grown man who's an executive says, I have never thought of this for over 30 years. He said, my mother, my dad was an alcoholic. He used to beat up my mom. When she had a baby and came home, the day she came home, my dad was drunk, beat her up. The baby fell and died. And they lied that the baby fell by itself and died. I have carried that in my head. For decades, I've carried that in my head. It says when I was a young teenager, I bought a gun and I was looking for my dad to kill him. I couldn't find him. Somewhere along the line, I now gave my life to Christ and my mentality started to change. And at that point, I found my dad. I had to forgive him. Where are you going to ever hear that? They forgot. He forgot this happened. So... When somebody sits in front of you crying or expressing a concern, I'm begging everybody to listen. You are not a judge. You are not God. You are not even a philosopher. You could have 10 MBAs and 20 PhDs. There's a saying in, in, in Africa, it says, it is the person who wears the shoe that knows how well it fits. 
You can look at my shoe. So I have one shoe I like. I love this shoe. It cost me a lot and I love it. But it is so tight, you will never believe it. So I don't wear it for event that is more than two hours. So when you keep me after two hours, there's a high level of discomfort. Because Alex, that still look nice in my head. Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going to write down. <laughs> so the, moment, the moment I leave the event, the first thing I take off in the car is the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mr. Alex, you need to you need to add to your bio that you're a comic and a humorist as well. <laughs> you know, you people, people laugh when I speak. I don't intend to make a joke. I'm just telling you the honest truth. <laughs> you know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are very depressing, and we laugh because it's, we have the option of either laughing. Or crying, so we decide that okay, we're, we're we're going to laugh. It doesn't take away any of the seriousness of the yeah. situation, but uh, you know what do you, what do you, what are you going to do? You've given so many workshops and summits and presentations. When you give workshops, and after the workshop is over and your part of the job is done, do you ever do any follow-ups with these organizations to see how? far they have progressed? 100%. It is part of our framework. It is part of our processes. In fact, we also offer to facilitate the survey on their behalf. And then we create a report based on that survey and we present it to them. Uh, by the grace of God, over the last two decades, we have never scored less than 91. Most are 95, 96, uh, 98%, uh, sometimes 97, uh, and in some cases actually 100 Right, so we do events with 700 people, 2,000 people, and you get 96, 97 percent. I think that's good. If that was what I was getting in school, my dad would not have hated me that much. I'm just saying, but uh, <laughs> right? maybe the teachers would not have said, you know, I'm a Nikompu, I'm an entity. I have my stores in school were really poor, right? 36 percent, 12 percent, like, yeah. But what they didn't know was I was going through tremendous abuse at home, nobody ever asked me. Right. My mother was beaten up every day. Her feet dragged across the floor of the room, you know, nose running, we crying. And then I'm supposed to go to school and tell you two plus two is four. You're kidding me. Now, before we let you go, Mr. Alex, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners that we have not given you a chance to speak about? Let me share with your listeners. Anytime I have the opportunity, my message is simple. Within you lies an insurmountable amount, insurmountable wealth of knowledge, insurmountable wealth of talent. In fact, greatness is your birthright, is in your DNA. You can be more, you can do more, you can have more, you can give more. Don't settle for less. Don't believe those lies that were said about you. You are a Nikonpu, you don't exist, you have no future. You have to create a narrative about yourself that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You have to create a narrative by yourself that I am more than conquerors. You have to create a narrative by yourself that I'm going to make an impact and leave a legacy that will shatter barriers, that I'm here to fulfill a purpose that is larger than me. No matter what they say, black, green, your accent, you are too fat, you are too short, you are too old, you are too young, do not let them look down on you because you are young. Do not let them look down on you because you are old either. You have to, your belief in yourself 
is more important than every educational qualification that you can ever have. I'm telling the honest truth. I am here today not because I went to school. They kicked me out, as I told you. I'm here today because my belief in myself can no longer be shattered. For far too long, they suppressed it because I allowed it. It is time to take up, pick up your mat and walk, as Christ would say. But I'm telling you, take that to the bank, bank it. You will find out that even no matter the MBAs you have, your promotion. I got 16 promotions in 15 years in the banks. They were throwing promotions at me. Promote, my salary grew over 1,000%. In those 15 years, I never got an academic qualification. I did go and do an MBA, do PhD. They were promoting me because of my confidence, my intelligence, and my eloquence, because of my passion, my purpose, and my principle. I often say this, and I say this in my book, The Mystic of Leadership. Leadership is the spirit that can only be ignited by purpose, generated, sustained by passion, and guided by principle. My friend, until you find out the exact reason you were created, you don't even exist. So if you need help, go right now, schoolofgreatness.ca. There's a free course. It's free. It's called A Course on Greatness. Free course is based on my book, Welcome to Greatness. My goal is to educate and inspire 5 million people by 2032. We are getting close. Go take the course. It's free. Cost you nothing. You don't even have to buy the book. But go through the course, discover your purpose, generate your passion, and go make the impact you were created for. God bless you. Your life journey is interesting, to say the, say the least. You come from uh, small beginnings, uh, from abuse. That was inflicted by your father and your mother, the person who loved you and cared for you and was able to pull you up from the sadness and the darkness of the days of abuse. And then you became this speaker who began to motivate individuals based on the power that was given to you by your 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 mother and because of that you've been able to help individuals become great you even have a school uh, using that name and individuals can attend and find out the root cause of their problems what's really holding them back from greatness and i think that this has been a wonderful wonderful conversation with you, sir. And I'm hoping that in the future, we will be able to do this again. Yes, thank you so much. The honor is all mine. I'm honored to be here. And uh, it was an interesting conversation. And I had the opportunity to even share things, frankly, I haven't even talked about for a long time myself. Uh, I believe every encounter has a higher purpose than we can ever uh, uh, determine. Uh, I tell people all the time, if you uh, believe the objective you are meeting somebody is actually the objective you are thinking, then you have a small mind. Why don't you open it up and let something bigger happen? I believe this, uh, this is a beginning of something bigger uh, for you and your organization and certainly for us and the relationship we are forming. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. So if there's any other thing I can do at any point in time, holla. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to Speak Up! Exclamation Point International. If you would like to reach Alex Ihama, please visit his website at www.canadiancongressondiversity.ca where you can leave your contact information. 
You can also reach Mr. Ihama by visiting his Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Alex Ihama Canada. Would you like to be interviewed and your cause promoted by Speak Up International? Please drop us a message containing your name, company name, the service you provide to your community, and email address to info at speakuppodcast.ca. You can reach us using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To connect to our podcast, use Spotify or your favorite podcast platform and search for Speak Up! Exclamation Point International. You can also find our podcast using our web address, www.speakuppodcast.ca. Our logo has the woman with her finger pointing up, mouth open, speaking up. At Speak Up! Exclamation Point International, we aim to inspire, to inform, and to educate.